time. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Ria. Hi, Porva. Did we just start a pod? Yeah, dude, I think we did. Hi, Porva. Well, what a welcome back to After 21, Ria. I like the new toy. Thanks, thanks. I got it for a presentation, um, a presentation workshop, and then I've just been like obsessed with it. It's been fun. This, this, remember guys, when we kept complaining about how our production level has been pretty cheap, this is us elevating it to the next level. Small things as we grow, our production grows. But today is a very exciting day. Today we've got some, lots of good news, good vibes. We're celebrating a massive month of mental health where for the first time we actually had three guests and we got through a fabulous month. But this month, we are also kickstarting a little bit of a celebration from one of our hosts. She just launched the second line of Katoy, and it's the block printing line. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking all about Katoy and all about being an entrepreneur featuring Ria Katoy. <laughs> Well, that was a really nice introduction. Not that everyone didn't know me before, but I've always wanted to come on and be the host and be like, wow, that was such a great introduction. So <laughs> here's my chance. Why don't you kind of give everybody a quick lowdown of why are we even wanting to record this episode? One of the things that Apoorva and I always like organically talk about is like updates on how it's going or what the journey has kind of been. And lately we've been like, wow, it would be cool to expose some of this to like the outside world or really give people an insight into what really goes on behind the scenes. Because I think oftentimes other people who were thinking about being an entrepreneur or just curious about the journey or anything don't really realize what goes on behind the scenes um, and how a business is built. I think it's a fabulous um, way to kind of insinuate all of our listeners who are wanting to be or have like a remote idea of wanting to be entrepreneurs because we have a resident entrepreneur here who's been in the business for a year and a half. She's actually sustained COVID and she is in the second part of her business where she's launched her second line. Uh, Maria, talk to us about what this new clothing line means to you and for the business. So this clothing line is actually very close to my heart, which I think I often forget when you're just so focused on all the business angles of it. Um, but one of the main reasons for starting the company itself was I wanted to figure out a better bridge between traditional Indian culture and modern day culture, whether it was culture in the US or anywhere else in the world. Um, and something that I saw was specifically for our generation, the way a lot of Indo-Western clothing was being made, it didn't feel very authentic to our everyday lives anywhere that you were in the world. So that was something that I wanted to tackle. And the other thing was block print was an art form that is very sustainable. It has so much history to it. And I also really wanted to use the company as a means of historical education for everybody because often being people, South Asian people, we're so busy in life. And also it's a very layered culture that we ourselves don't know a lot about the culture. So. This collection very much bridges, I would say, a lot of that together. I know you and I have had this conversation of how this 
this brand came to be and you know i distinctly remember our swimming pool conversation our conversation when i was in portland when you had this idea but how have you figured out you know navigating the pieces all of the missing pieces to your puzzle of creating this brand yeah um i mean i will start by saying i think the number one thing to remember and the thing that i had to teach myself is entrepreneurship or startup whatever you want to call it is a lot of learn and fail and it's very quick learn and fail so it has been a lot of one observation and research so really looking at what people respond to looking at what the market needs and also sometimes understanding what the market needs versus what the market wants and kind of connecting the dots between all of them i would say um it has been a lot of overt just listening, like listening to people, listening to trends, um, and listening to like direct feedback about what people are saying as well, but then also kind of trying to sometimes shift my own thought frame. So like one thing for me when I started the company was that I felt like a lot of clothing that was available in the similar sphere was very expensive Um, and I wanted like for myself I was like I could never afford this I wanted to create something that was more affordable but sustainability was always a top priority for me as well and going into it now that I see like the full back end of it that is still very much top of mind but along with sustainability I see that there is only like so low that you can go while also paying paying people ethically and it's kind of things like that where sometimes once you understand and know the secrets of the trade you have to make decisions based off what is most important to you as a human i love i love that you bring all of these points up because trust me i have a a question for each of them but some things that that i think is a big question in my head is before someone becomes an entrepreneur they have this zeal of wanting to be an entrepreneur because that's say maybe they're genuinely passionate about starting a business or because it's kind of like a trend right like everyone's becoming an entrepreneur so you want to start your own business how did you gather the courage to take that leap of faith but the second question I have for you is sure you've now become an entrepreneur but you've learned to put all these hats on your head you're also someone's boss and you're managing people's benefits etc how have you dealt with the adaptability of wearing different hats as well great question I think I still laugh when people call me an entrepreneur because I don't even know if that's in my head yet but I would say actually like I have thought about entrepreneurship subconsciously I think for most of my life like I have always said that I wanted to be a CEO of a certain level but the journey was never exactly clear in my head um and I also think that I came to a point in my career where it just kind of gave me the perfect opportunity for this to start. Um, And it was really about right timing. Like there were just a few things that were going on. Um, I felt like I had hit a lull in my career. I was frustrated with the corporate workforce. And at the same time, I had to, I had seen this white space opportunity in the market that I was very passionate about filling. So it really came down to like the right time, the right resources and everything like that. And actually, uh, it's not necessarily 100% a secret, but something that everyone, not everyone knows is that before we officially came with like the first line about 
two months before I was like, this isn't going to work. I got to let go of this idea because it was very difficult finding the right production use system unit whatever you want to call it so I was like really wrapped up ready to be like okay tried my hardest just not gonna happen um and things just kind of fell into place so it's very much like right time right mind frame also I would say because because of my situation I was in a very instead I wouldn't say vulnerable state I was in a very like open-minded state yeah and I was also very excited to push myself forward and really just fulfill one goal which was trying to start the company um so it's a lot of just making sure you're prepared from that standpoint um but for your second question um I think I can answer that in a few different ways I have been lucky that I've actually been in the startup sphere since about 2015 um I yeah I spent a lot of my college career continuously working at startups so I worked at a jewelry startup and I went from like intern to like operations manager I was um an operations manager in one of my friends clothing lines that he did in school as well so I've kind of been used to the concept of wearing multiple hats for a while now so I think that definitely helped kind of set up this fear but this was the first time that I was ever managing people and starting a business as well as managing and teaching people is definitely very different um and not only was I managing like I wasn't exactly just managing people who were at the same level I was managing people who were younger than me which did mean that there was a lot of teachable moments but I found it really rewarding um I found it to be like a journey where it was amazing to see the growth and I still say this like today like to see where that my interns came in at zero and to see where they've gone now, like I would recommend them for a full-time job to anyone and they still haven't even graduated college. So it's been cool kind of shifting the hats there. And it has also been a little bit of like mind frame shifting in my head of being like, when you're starting a business and you're managing all these people, your priority is also the people. Like your priority is the people making sure they're doing good, inspiring the people while keeping up with your company goals. But you want to make sure everybody is on the same page. It's not just you and you're like delegating, but creating that team. Wearing multiple hats seems like the trend of this podcast. I don't know why or what kind of message we're delivering to the people. But Ria, if I haven't mentioned this like for the hundredth time already on, on this podcast, she has a full-time job. She is a part-time podcaster and she is also a full-time founder and CEO of Katoy. It's kind of bizarre how she has so many things going. And I remember I just, um, I texted Ria, uh, side note everyone the other day. And I was like, she was just like, I think it's going to be, a little hard for you to record the podcast because something happened in my professional life and I was just like having you as my partner is enough of a motivation to kick my butt and like to keep going because you you set the tone really well and hearing you um, talk about how much you've grown as an entrepreneur but also as a person is very inspiring but Ria I have a question in terms of you navigating the space of entrepreneurship right like we've gone through classes of entrepreneurship or starting a business all of the fundamentals are laid out in school what people don't teach you is how the heck do you navigate the curveballs in your life of an entrepreneur I think I want to ask you the first question on this is what was some of the biggest shocks that no one warned you about when you moved into entrepreneurship 
I mean, I think the number one thing I would say is there's a lot of low, there's really low lows and really high highs. There's no like constant with it. It is a continuous. When I say roller coaster, I mean roller coaster. And even the winds are somewhat of a low sometimes when you're so early in this stage, because a wind could mean figuring out like a thousand other things, which is a stressful situation. Um, So entrepreneurship is a lot of up and down. And from what I've learned, I think the number one thing with entrepreneurship is like really keeping your head on straight and seeing that every single problem has a solution. You just have to find the solution. And sometimes it's also okay to let your emotions come in because Mm -hmm. like you're doing a lot. You can figure out when those moments are going to be. It doesn't need to be an everyday type of thing. It can't be an everyday type of thing. But like when there really is a lot going on, you can let your emotions in. You're human. You should feel them. That's also how you check the pulse of your team because whatever emotions you're feeling probably trickles down to a certain level. Mm -hmm. Um, But really also just being prepared for those roller coasters. You sound so put together when you say it. And I'm just like, I want some more juice. Like (laughs) I need to know some examples where you kind of like, turned it around into from a bad thing to a good thing. I can say, I guess like the number one thing for us too, is like, there's so much, we're still so young. We're still figuring out what our like sales projections and everything like that is. And that is something that is difficult to sometimes figure out, but between custom as well as like these sales production is something that's hard to sometimes figure out and something that clients don't always understand whether it's a custom client or someone regular buying from the website, but you're figuring out what the workload for people doing production is going to be. So while it's really cool, while everything could be skyrocketing on a sales point of view, you also want to be very mindful of like what you're doing to the people producing it. Everybody has a demand for clothing. They want new clothes. They want to stay on top of trends, etc. And there's always a new clothing label that's popping up every other minute of the game how according to you have you like managed to stay on top of these trends and and try to deviate from the competition that's constantly arising I mean I will start by saying that it's definitely not very easy from a mental standpoint uh I would say if you asked me this question about three months ago I would have a very different response but what I can tell you right now is that one um I have actually never seen my competitors as quote unquote competitors. I see them as people who are in the industry, like there could be opportunities for us to partner together, help each other. I also see it very much as, hey, we're friends because we feel the same pain points. Mm -hmm. Um, That is definitely, I would say the first thing. Um, The second thing is really taking a step back and just remembering that like I started the company for a reason there were certain values that I had in mind and no matter what someone else isn't going to be able to emulate the same thing because the vision ultimately came from a different place and was created for a different person so really focusing on that and almost the same thing that we tell people about themselves like you can sit there and compare yourself to everyone or you can know that you were for your own reasons. Um, So that's kind of the narrative I would say that I've taken when it comes to that while really just focusing on myself and focusing on what values I want to bring to the table as a company. I'm actually going to flex a business term that I think you know this already. But Ria, have you heard of this term called blue ocean strategy? I don't think I have. Okay, so essentially it's something wherein you see 
a business idea, right? And no one's really capitalized on the market yet. And you are kind of like the first entrant into that market and you create that demand for that market. And I feel like what you have been doing is very similar to kind of setting a precedent for South Asians, specifically in in America and outside of India, because we have enough demand for clothes. And quite frankly, like, you know, obviously our body types and our styles are different in India, but like the styles and the body types and trends are different outside of India, you've kind of taken upon that. What happens when you enter into these new markets or when you're setting a precedent, especially in the South Asian community is the backlash. How have you managed to tackle those challenges? Um, I mean, it's hard, especially because when you're so young, you put a lot of like heart, um, like heart, blood, sweat and tears into it. So it is hard when you feel any of those negativities, I would say, but in the moment, it's one of those things where I was talking about where like the lows are really, really low, but it goes back remembering what those value sets are. Like I have had times where I will say something to maybe like a custom client, excuse me, of like, I know, I understand where you're coming from. You want a garment at a certain price because that is your budget. Your budget is your budget. But also as someone who is an entrepreneur and is paying other people, knowing that sustainability and paying people ethically is a core value of mine. I have to stick to that over like potentially upsetting someone because me, that was one of the reasons I started the business. One of the goals of the business is making a positive impact on the fashion industry overall. So that's kind of where you have to just go back to the drawing board of what your goals are and just be like, okay, this wasn't the person for me. And that's okay. Like not everyone is going to love what you're creating. Not everybody is going to feel that it's their style. It's things to listen in on. It's things to understand and see if you could cater to them in the future through maybe like a different collection or anything like that. Or sometimes it's things where you're like, you know what, that just isn't in my ball game right now maybe in the future, maybe I'll find actually another partner who's interested in that and we can collaborate down the road. Um, I really like how you also brought up this piece of paying people ethically because we've spoken about it behind the scenes. And this is something I wanted to specifically ask you for the audience, right? As a consumer, for me, when I look at a piece of clothing and I see that it's 5,000 rupees or maybe $80, um, I'm going to flip it back and say that's too much for me for a piece of a dress. But from an entrepreneurial standpoint, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that an average consumer doesn't know. Care to educate us about it? Yeah, um, I will start by saying that the most difficult part of the entrepreneurship journey for me has actually been pricing because I have had to also myself experience a little bit of a wake-up call um, in the terms of what my shopping habits are. Are. Uh, I've always been interested in the sustainability angle of things and I've always learned about it. But when you're actually physically paying people, it's a very different thing that goes through your head. But it is, a, I don't know how a lot of companies, I will say, price lower. Um, mass production is something, but yeah. at the same point in time, what you see when you're seeing a garment is so many different things. And if someone showed me some of our collection 
I don't know if I necessarily would have been like, yes, I will 100% buy that a few years ago if I didn't know almost like the stories behind it, because you are paying for one, the fabric to be ethically produced. You're paying for with this collection, the fabrics are all hand stamped, which is an ode to an art. And also you are giving the people who are stamping those fabrics like breakfast, lunch and dinner by buying a piece of garment. And then from there, it goes to actually the people who are creating the clothing. Like that's the creating the fabric and creating the clothing are two completely different things. So you have someone who's sitting there and like cutting it and mapping it and looking at how it's going to fit on a human body and that to multiple kinds of human bodies. Like we all know our bodies go through changes, but those people who are often paid the least are the ones figuring out how it's going to fit on a body which is also a really big part of it. And then you have someone who is actually sitting there and creating the garment. And there's things I have learned through this, like for example, a blazer, if it's made with good quality, takes about 13 hours just to stitch. Yeah, I did not know that. Just to stitch. Yeah. Wow. Um, So it's like insane when you're like, wow, this took 13 hours just to stitch. And mind you, that's not even taking into account any of like the design work, any of the conceptual work, any of all of those back scenes where what I just described is probably like 45% of what goes in. There's like so much more that goes in leading up to this, whether it's conversations with vendors, whether it is finding the right vendors, like putting it into trends, everything like that. And we are still figuring out how to price all of this. I think right yeah. now the goal is to like enter the market, pay the people creating everything ethically. I don't pay myself at all. Yet, um, yet. Yet, uh, but if I was a bigger real company then the person doing all, everything that I do would also be getting paid. So it's kind of a big wake up call. Whereas like I see the face value prices and I'm like, yeah, this is an elevated price, but also like, half of the price isn't even being paid yet so it's like a very interesting structure and I think something as a society we all have to start being more educated about because we're going after these cheaper prices to sustain our lifestyles but it doesn't necessarily make sense and I think one thing that I keep thinking of is paying people ethically in a developing country is a very different number than what you would think in like the US. Mm-hmm. We sit here and we protest about minimum wages and this and that and paying people ethically in a third world country is like one to four dollars. I would say like that range depending on what the person is doing per hour, which is ridiculous when you think about the fact that we're sitting here complaining. Also not to mention their their talent, their yes. art form, and that's yeah. labor intensive. Yeah. So it's just been a very interesting, I guess, like journey for myself. I will say I'm still navigating it, figuring out how to pay everybody ethically while also getting customers to continue to pay everyone ethically, like figuring out the production loads, whatever that is. Um, But yeah, it's been a wake up call. I have a lot of train of thoughts over just that answer. But for one, I think I have to really appreciate how raw you've gotten into the process of what it means to price a product because that's not something most entrepreneurs even understand or most consumers even understand. So Ria, what's your verdict? Are you ever going to go back to the fast fashion houses and buy something now that you've invested in quality and sustainability? 
Um, I would say, I mean, I'm still on my journey of figuring that out for myself as well. I don't think anyone is perfect with it. Um, so I'm still on that journey. I'm figuring it out. But what I will say is that I think as an industry, there are a lot of changing conversations. And there's a lot of people entering the game where these companies are also evaluating what they're doing. So not everything that these companies do are also bad. They are all avidly trying to fight it in certain ways. They always have resources to educate people on what is going on in certain collections. They face a lot of the same issues that I do, whereas like, you try to do something sustainably, you don't find the pricing, you have thousands and thousands of thousands of people who are working for the company, whose livelihoods that you are responsible for. So it's not necessarily a very cut and dry type of situation. It's a lot more of consumer awareness, I would say. And it's, it's amazing, especially now we're in this, in this generation, especially where the consumer is becoming more conscious as well. As the consumer is becoming more conscious, that's also what will allow a lot of these companies to be able to change but right now I think everybody is between like a, okay we're trying to change but we're also trying to stay alive. From what I'm hearing is if you ever want a discount or you need like something priced lower ultimately the person that's getting the hunch or the hit is the creator or the artisan that is probably sitting somewhere and crafting these pieces for that end consumer. Yeah, I mean, I will say that is usually the case sometimes. One of the it, factors. Yeah, um, it depends. Like one of my favorite sustainable footwear companies, um, they're called Veja, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, they were realized that sneakers are expensive and then they realized that sustainable sneakers are more expensive. So they said, whatever, we're going to cut marketing completely out of it. So like they have great pricing because they completely cut marketing out of their budgets and it's just been like word of mouth and it's been incredible yeah so there's always different ways to do it but I would say they're more of a rare case I found who doesn't need any marketing type of infrastructure versus everyone else you got to spend a little to get a little type of business yeah for all our budding entrepreneurs that are thinking about taking the plunge but are really nervous to take the plunge because at the end of the day we're part of this world where a lot of your identity revolves around the job you have. And you had a job in the past. I have had numerous conversations about this with you, but I want to know what your take is for those people who have the fear of failure lingering in their head. First of all, and I am also still working on this, I will say, but the word failure just shouldn't be in our vocabulary. Um, like, that means she's an entrepreneur, ladies and gentlemen. When she <laughs> says failure is not in your dictionary, that's when you know she's an entrepreneur. Good job, Ria. Like I said, this is a growing mindset. And I think a lot of my friends, even from the past two weeks, will be like, oh, really, Ria? That's what you're going to say. But um, life is not meant to be like a pass or fail, right? Like it's always ongoing. Whether or not you pass or fail to test, your life still goes on. So that shouldn't really be in something that we think about. I think we can think about the level to what you want to succeed. And you can also think about like, who are you? What does it mean to be you? For some people, a job is just a job. And that's completely okay, because that is what they want to do. For some people, a job and what they do is about their identity. And that is also okay. 
Um, and it's just important to know that whatever you do, you at the end of the day feel good about. It's your life. You're the one who's going to look back at it. It doesn't affect anybody else. So I think that is one thing that I would say. What is the goal that you have with Katoy over the next couple collections? Because we're very, very excited to see where the brand is headed. I mean, one, the goal is to make sales. <laughs> <laughs> everyone Katoy's links will be in the description box below um so definitely number one um I would say right now number two is just really gathering a lot more brand awareness and um educating people education has always been number one for us we are still figuring out the right how exactly to leverage this method of education but we want to educate on trends we want to educate on culture we want to educate about the way that clothing is done, um, so education. And then number three is highlighting different cultures in India. Um, this has actually been, we've had we tried to do it a few times um, and just production reasons hasn't worked out, but the goal is really that as a country, as a culture, there's a lot that we don't know because there's so many different layers. So figuring out a way to highlight all of that, bring it out. I myself, I'm from a state whose culture isn't as widely known. So mm-hmm. kind of things like that, whereas like finding these pockets of cultures and really bringing them to the surface uh, and educating people about it. But yeah, and then I say, I think the last goal for us would be really to become like a shopping destination for people to find whatever they want. The goal has always been making sure that the consumer has the best and easiest journey while they make themselves feel good in whatever they wear. I'm gonna ask you three things that you think are important for entrepreneurs to have as they are pursuing this quest of establishing their business? I think number one is self-confidence. It is uh, through this journey, I have learned how important it is to have that self-confidence and trust yourself because you are your own boss. You are the one who is leading the train in a lot of different manners. So you have to have a good relationship with yourself. You should not be second guessing yourself. There's always room for open conversations, but you need to trust yourself and really be confident with yourself. Um, Number two is I would say, take everything as a learning experience. It's all learning. Even if you fail and hit rock bottom and are going bankrupt, that was a learning. Like the worst possible situation is a learning. If I can say anything like Steve Jobs got kicked out of Apple and came back, he learned, Mm -hmm. they got rid of him and then they brought him back. So um, the worst of worst situations is learning. Um, And number three, I think I would say is nobody showcases their journey. You see everybody's success. You don't see the late nights. You don't see tears. You don't see the struggles. You don't see the partnerships that have failed. You don't see the business ideas that have failed. You only see what finally was a success. So respect that. And also while you're going through your failures, acknowledge that 
it's part of the process and yeah. you'll get them eventually. Yeah, I'm going to let you actually let the audience know about the order system for Katoy's new collection because it's very interesting. And I think everybody should know about their efforts. So I will start by saying that this was created for a few different reasons. Um, one is what I was talking about before with production and understanding what your team needs. But two is just general sustainability. So part of what I learned through this process is the unsustainable-ism, I guess, of, um, I made that word up, but <laughs> anyways, of the whole labor as well as just fabrics behind what goes on. And a really interesting statistic that our team found was that 16 million tons of fabric waste happen per year, uh, which is 6% of the overall waste that we contribute per year, which is a really big number. There are thousands of reasons for why that those numbers exist, but one of the contributors is mass production because then things will just sit there and then they eventually sit and then they eventually go into a dump. So in order to make sure that that doesn't happen and in order to make sure that production is being done sustainably, we have created a system where it is a one-to-one -one order ratio. So we produced in super limited quantities um, and once those quantities sell out, it'll be one-to-one. -one. So once you place your order, we have a two-week order window and on June 1st, our orders will close and we will take whatever orders are there and then one, create the fabrics, and then two, create the garments for each individual order. And this also helps us kind of map out, like you can have a fabric and you can know that, okay, I have seven jackets I need to create from here. Here are the different sizes. How can we optimize this amount of fabric? Um, so yeah. really figuring out how to minimize waste. And then we actually do take the waste and either donate them or do something else ourselves with them but yeah when does this deadline close because i'm sure folks who are listening in would love to peek through your collection and place an order if they're interested so we actually were supposed to close on june 1st um but we've had a lot of i would say buzz and conversation and messages from people so we have decided to open the window up until june 3rd but on june 3rd midnight uh u.s time we will be closing the windows just so we can start production that's exciting, everyone. All of Ria's links would be linked in the description box below. Um, you can catch Ria's clothing line at K-H-A-T-T-O-I on Instagram. And everything else will be, again, in the description box. Ria, thank you. Thank you so much for coming through and educating us about what it means to run a business sustainably. We are very proud of you and we hope it flies with flying colors. <laughs> Of course. One thing I will add is that we ship internationally um, and the shipping fees will be calculated at checkout. So you'll directly be able to see it before purchasing an order. Awesome. Well, you heard it right here, guys. Um, thank you so much, Ria. And everybody, we will see you next hump day with another episode. Um, have a good one. Bye, guys.